Warm Regards is supported by Wonder Capital, an award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest directly in solar energy projects across the U.S. It is a win any way you look at it. You can earn up to 8.5% annually, diversify your portfolio, curb pollution, and combat global climate change, all while supporting the domestic solar industry here in the U.S. Support this show and create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. That's wondercapital.com warm. Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. Hi, everybody. This is Warm Regards, a dialogue between scientists, journalists, and people on the front lines of climate change. I'm Jacqueline Gill, an Ice Age ecologist ironically snowed in here in Maine, filling in for Eric Holthouse this week. For today's show, we're talking about the growing movement to get more scientists to run for public office. I first heard about this effort last December, shortly after I'd been interviewed for an article in Nature on how scientists were responding to Trump. In my interview, I said something to the effect of, it's fine if you want to sign polite letters, but that better not be all you do. And then I got a call from a group called 314 Action. That's 314 like the number pi. They'd read the piece and said they wanted to talk about that whole doing more than just signing letters thing. They wanted to know if I'd ever considered running for office and how could they help? This is not something I had ever even remotely considered. My dream had always been something along the lines of, build a strong career in science, do awesome outreach, and then maybe get tapped one day as an advisor, maybe to President Clinton. Since then, I've talked with The Atlantic and The New York Times about scientists getting political. I've been working with the organizers of the upcoming March for Science, uh, scheduled for April 22nd in DC and hopefully a community near you. And I've been having my own crisis of conscience as like many of my fellow scientists, I've tried to grapple with what it means to stand up for science in an era of alternative facts and outright attacks on America's scientific infrastructure. For most of us, this is totally new territory, which is both terrifying and exciting. And joining us, as always, is Andy Revkin. Hey, Andy, any good leaks this week? Uh, It's been a little quieter. Everyone's still kind of, um, well, we'll see. But (laughs) we're actually getting FOIA results are coming in, uh, freedom of information requests, so. Things are starting to move, yeah. I'm really excited about this week's guest. While most of us are still thinking about what it means for scientists to get more political, she has actually lived it firsthand. Shaughnessy Naughton started off as a chemist, then took over the family's small business, and then ran for the House of Representatives in 2016 in a contest for Pennsylvania's 8th District, which she unfortunately lost. But it was those experiences that inspired her to found 314 Action. Think Emily's List, but for scientists. Shaughnessy, it is so great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, Jacqueline. Hi, Andy. All right, well, let's just jump right into this. Um, I guess the question probably on everyone's minds is, why do we need more scientists in the office in the first place? And I'm sure my husband would appreciate it if you just convinced me that this was a terrible idea and I shouldn't do it. <laughs> well, I think we do benefit by having a diversity of experience in government. And I think scientists in particular bring a unique skill set. One of the things that you're taught with the scientific method is to look at the evidence and base your conclusions on that and not on some preconceived notion. And I think that's something we need 
to see more of uh, in government at all levels. And I also think that technology and, and science are key drivers in our economy and having people that have actually worked in those fields is an asset for us all. Yeah, so there was a piece that you had in the Scientific American uh, online that our aim is not to make science another highly partisan issue, but rather to let facts and empirically observed data trump emotional debate. And I really liked that, the sort of idea of science as a process, as a way of knowing things, as sort of a verb um, that then gives you this skill set through which to make informed decisions, a sort of iterative process of science that we talk about a lot on the show. This is kind of a way of decision making and not necessarily just the body of information that science produces per se. Yeah, I think traditionally the uh, view from the scientific community has been that politics is dirty and science is pure, and uh, that you know science is above politics. And I think increasingly we've seen politicians are not ashamed to be meddling in science. And one way to combat that is to get people with scientific and technical backgrounds to actually have a seat at the table. So I have a question for both of you. Um, Shaughnessy, as someone who has really straddled this line between being a scientist and politics, public office, and then Andy as someone who has talked a lot to scientists and then kind of translates our words and our ideas to a broader audience. What are some of the stereotypes or challenges or pitfalls that scientists would need to be aware of um, to, to really be successful in a bid for public office? Well, uh, it's definitely a different experience to make a political speech rather than a technical presentation or, or teaching a class. Um, and that's, that's something that uh, the only way to get better is to, is to practice. Um, I, I do think scientists have to be cognizant of how they're communicating with the general public. And uh, people are interested in science, but sometimes can be uh, intimidated by it. And I think uh, when, you know, when communicating, it's important to use uh, language the way Americans use language um, and vocabulary rather than what might be, you know, correct scientifically. Uh, if you, you know, because the point of communicating is to make people understand what you're saying. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a challenge that people are going to face coming uh, from the scientific world into the political realm. You know, one of the, the challenges is certainly going to be uh, sound bites. And I, I'm not necessarily advocating for people to talk in sound bites, but I think for some people, I think it is difficult to break things down into, you know, one or two sentences. But again, that's something that you can learn with time. Yeah, and it, it'll be challenging. Um, it was, I mean, there's plenty of scientists who've, who've gone there, um, some astronauts and some scientists. Uh, but I think when you are confronted with a world in which strategy and and um, maybe um, not stating all the facts <laughs> and uh, downplaying uncertainty and the, the, the polemical atmosphere in politics can be really rough and tumble. And um, I think that that's hard. You know, there's some scientists who sometimes get into that arena and kind of 
adopt that persona and then you know i don't know i feel like i have to take a shower afterwards or something it it, it doesn't come naturally i mean scientists can be really argumentative as you as you both know but but it's within it's in a certain culture and a certain way of dealing with with stuff that's that is different so i, I think it'll always be uh, it'll be challenging but but it is i just think it would be uh, so valuable for uh, for everybody to see more of that and, th and i think at every level you know from town local town politics onward in my community in hudson valley there are people who've been convening to try to figure out how to cut our energy use as a community uh, and quite often they're struggling to find good sources of information i think having a technical background uh, in the mix can be helpful there too or um, by the way not just science but engineering and economics um, both can be helpful skill sets as well so this idea of scientists being political is probably something that we in climate science have been wrestling with for a while longer than most folks. I mean, this idea of when do you know to be an advocate or even an activist versus just letting the science speak for itself and letting other people handle the policy implications or the, the communication even of that science. And so, you know, an argument that I hear a lot is if you become political, that is, if you, or partisan, really, that's what people are really talking about, because I don't believe science is apolitical or ever has been. But if you run for office as a scientist, then suddenly your science is suspect and you are no longer trustworthy because you're now advocating. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, I, I, I guess I would ask, uh, do, you, do you think <laughs> the Republicans on the science committee trust your science to begin with? Um, you know, it, it, it is political um, to run for office, but it's also making a statement to not be involved in politics. And I think it's a, it, you know, it has us on a dangerous path. And we have the president of the United States denies that climate change is even happening or that we have members of the uh, science committee clearly going after scientists and, and the pursuit of science. Um, and I think the only way to effectively combat that is to get a seat at the table. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the House Science Committee because this has been, you know, really, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, for example, if you don't follow their Twitter account uh, or if you haven't been following uh, climate science and the, the travails of various climate scientists who have been, you know, called to, to testify um, or even have had legal battles um, over just doing their science, um, you might not realize just how anti-science, not not only the, the Trump administration is, but also the, the House Science Committee. I mean, this is a, an organization that has regularly, I mean, they make, the House Science Committee makes some of the most important decisions about the future of science policy in this country. Very few of them are, are scientists or have a scientific background. I think there's a couple of doctors, a vet, a dentist, a couple of engineers, um, but the chairman, Lamar Smith, uh, has a degree in American studies, for example. And, you know, the the Twitter account, the, so the official Twitter account for the House Science Committee has been known to retweet Breitbart articles uh, attacking climate scientists. So, I mean, this is, things are, I think, probably worse than a lot of people realize. What if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time? Well, you can. It's very possible. With Wonder Capital... Wonder has an award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest directly in solar projects across the U.S. 
The platform allows you to earn up to 8.5% annually and diversify your portfolio while combating global climate change. You can't beat that. In fact, in 2016 alone, the solar projects that Wonder Capital helped finance are going to offset CO2 emissions from 2,791,823 pounds of coal burned. Your investment in Wonder's fully managed solar investment fund goes directly to helping U.S. small and medium-sized businesses install solar panels. As those businesses repay their loans to Wonder, you receive monthly payments directly deposited into your bank account. And you can also support this show and help us continue to do what we're doing. Best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't take any fees for investing your money. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com warm. That's wonder with a U, W-U-N-D-E-R, wondercapital.com warm. Wonder Capital, do well and do good. Hey, Jacqueline. Well, I have a question for you. Uh, with, you know, the last couple of months and thinking about maybe taking a step into uh, the political realm yourself, what has that experience been like? I mean, it, it could be a bit overwhelming, I would imagine. Yeah, uh, to, to say the least. I mean, it's for me, it's it's like the sort of day-to-day back and forth of, yeah, I totally think I should do this. Um, and oh my God, what am I thinking? This is a terrible idea. I mean, just as some context, I'm a pre-tenure faculty at the University of Maine. I love my job as an academic scientist. I love mentoring students, doing science, um, you know, doing outreach and communication doing research. I have active research grants right now. Um, And I had always thought that this would be any kind of public service in this way would be something that would be in 20 years, it would be way down the line. And then suddenly we have, I just feel like we're in an emergency, right? There's this incredible sense of urgency. And I don't know if I can just passively sit around and wait for uh, an administration that's pro-science to come and tap me and ask me to serve and use my expertise for the powers of good. And so then then that kind of raises this question of, well, you know, can I still, can I keep my day job, right? Like, can I, do I have to give up this career at a public university doing science that I've worked my life for and fe- really love um, and and then run for office on top of that or is it possible to kind of take a, a sidestep, right? There are, there are analogs to this, right? I mean, if you, if I had been tapped, for example, to be a science advisor in some capacity, you know, there, there are models for taking a, a a year or two away from your university job to go serve um, an administration or even, um, you know, scientists that rotate in as, uh, as program officers at the National Science Foundation, you know, they usually come from academic positions and then take a couple of years, kind of rotate in and then rotate out and go back to their jobs or, you know, Jane Lubchenco right now is back at, at a university setting. And so I, you know, I, what I need to find out is, is what's possible, um, and uh, and that's that's very daunting. Um, it's 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 one of those things where academics, scientists, especially, I think we have this kind of five year plan always in the back of our minds. You know, where where are we going? We have we have a, a strong sense of you know what our lives are going to look like. And running for office was was not something <laughs> that was part of my five year plan. You know. And and suddenly it's like oh what you know what do you think about that 2018 race you know main second congressional district and and people are asking me questions like that and it's very uh, it gives me pause. Um, and by the way, for those who might be 
uh, as, as Jacqueline just said, for those who might be a, a reluctant or worried about running for uh, elective office, there's, as, as you said, there are other, so many other ways to get involved um, or at least test the waters. I, I can't tell you how many scientists I know who did a AAAS fellowship in Washington or you know, served on committee, com committee staff or um, you know, got a sense for how the system works. And whether or not they ended up going into politics was almost... Uh, Beside the point, they were getting engaged in the process in a way that's um, meaningful. And the same thing, like up in Maine, uh, Bob Cates, you might know Bob, uh, Jacqueline, he, he was on the kind of a climate adaptation um, state panel. He's a longtime uh, scholar of sustainability. You know, there, there, there are these other roles too that are kind of in between, the, not just running for an actual seat somewhere, but getting engaged in the process too. Yeah, I, I think for the first six or eight months uh, after I announced my candidacy, I would, a couple times a day, it would just hit me that, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> what I will say is that as daunting as the idea might be, having an organization like 314 Action reach out and say, you know, if this is something you want to do, we can help make connections, we can help you with training, we can help you with financial support or connections to donors. And I mean, there's a it's just a whole a whole different way of doing things, a whole different world of the kind you know of people in terms of the kinds of connections that I've made. Um, you know, there's this sort of Venn diagram of of people you'd want to know if you wanted to run for office. And I don't know that there's very much overlap in my Venn diagram right now. but I but I, would, I will also say that, you know, kind of like Andy mentioned, even if this is something I decide ultimately not to do, just having made those connections, already is is very powerful to me and just just being able to 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 get to know how you know how our government works uh to get to know people in office that are making decisions to be able to to connect with them um and and help them with decision making is already a huge uh, hugely positive outcome of of having connected with 314 action well and, and that's um, you know, something that we want to encourage is that uh, depending on where you are in your career or your your goals, it, running for office is not for the faint of heart. Uh, but a lot of these, um, you know, even your state legislators have very small staffs and reaching out to them and offering your expertise and your experience uh, is another way to get involved uh, if you, you know, aren't uh, interested in making that step into electoral politics. And frankly, they, they appreciate it. I mean, they, uh, for the most part, are thoughtful people and uh, can benefit by having other thoughtful people reach out and offer th their experience. So Shaughnessy, I, I realize I haven't actually asked you what this was like for you. Like, what, what was it like being a scientist running for office? It's uh, totally different than anything uh, I've ever done before. I'm a pretty private person. I don't like to talk about myself, and uh, neither of those go very well on a campaign trail. So you have to get used to talking about yourself, which is, I don't know, it's a strange, it's a strange thing to do. Um, but uh, I think uh, it, it was an overall positive experience, and what I wanted to do with 314 Action is take what I learned and help other people to make that step. Uh, because it is it is daunting to think about, well, where do I start? And do I really have to call a friend from high school that I haven't talked to in 20 years to ask them 
for money for my campaign? And the answer is yes. Uh, when I ran, I had an additional challenge of my um, my Democratic opponent was being supported by the Democratic committee. And so that meant I was locked out of a lot of traditional Democratic donor networks. And so I reached out to the scientific community and told them who I am and what I was trying to do. And one of the reasons I was running was because I was very concerned about the anti-science rhetoric and the mocking of science that we see from so many politicians. And um, and that's why I was stepping up to do this. And so I wanted to take that experience and, and help other people with 314, as well as bring greater awareness to the scientific community that they need to go beyond just advocacy and do need to get involved in electoral politics. Because if we continue on this path of, of uh, mocking science and not investing in science, uh, that does not paint a pretty picture for this country in 20, 30 years. So I think at this point, we probably have two groups of listeners that have a question that they would love to ask you, uh, or at least I can imagine myself in their shoes. This is what I would want to know. For those of our listeners who are scientists, they're probably wondering, what do I do next if I want to get involved or if I want to just find out if this is something for me? What do they do? Well, they can go to our website, 314action.org, and sign up uh, to uh, for our candidate training, which will be held on Pi Day, March 14th. Uh, we'll be holding it in Washington, D.C., as well as streaming it. Um, and we're really excited about the agenda we're putting together and the connections we'll be able to introduce people to if they can attend in, in, uh, in person. And originally, when we put this together, we thought it was going to be a one or two hour webinar. <clears throat> And we were hoping to have a thousand scientists sign up by Pi Day. And I'm happy and excited to say we have had 2,500, over 2,500 scientists sign up before the end of January. Uh, so we're getting a great response from people in the community who do realize um, with every <laughs> additional attack on science that it, it's time to step up and get involved. For, for the folks listening who are not scientists, uh, but want to help out or, or want to be supportive, what, what do you recommend that folks do to help stand up for science? Uh, well, we also have uh, work for them to help us with if they want to sign up to volunteer on our website. We are working on putting together state coordinators in each state to help uh, bring greater scientific awareness to the public, as well as to be looking for candidates um, to support and recruit to run. And um, all of those candidates are, are going to need people helping their campaigns, so we'll be happy to put them in touch directly. And I, I, I would just say, uh, I would just add this, is that although we've mostly today talked about things at the federal level, uh, we are at 314 Action supporting candidates uh, at all levels of government. Because whether it's the school board or the state legislature or the federal or at the federal level, I think we, we do benefit by having people with technical backgrounds uh, in office. All right, Andy, I want to flip this around to you now. We've been talking about scientists running for office. What about journalists? I mean, you guys have also kind of an interesting skill set that 
involves strengths in communication, really knowing the ins and outs of climate change and these other issues that we think are important, um, but also kind of straddle some of these potential pitfalls. I'm not sure if you can straddle a pitfall, but, um, you know, just the, the kind of challenges about uh, ethical quandaries or perception issues uh, in the public. Um, I don't know, are, are, you, are journalists thinking about running for office? Should they? Well, it really, that is kind of a one-way street, unless your journalism is focused on something utterly unrelated to politics, uh, I suppose a sports writer or a, um, it, it, there are people I, I can't think right off the top of my head of uh, them who have done such things. Most journalists, uh, if they get into politics, they end up as speech writers or, or strategists for uh, politicians, that kind of thing. Um, you know, some of us go to academia like I did for six years and then come back to journalism. So it's, and I, I've actually dipped my toe into some science stuff with the Anthropocene work I was doing. I think crossing boundaries, learning other cultures is really important for, for everybody. If you, if you want to not stay in a, in, in a, in a foxhole, um, I think it's really good to engage. Um, you know, not every science writer should try to do science, but at least the Woods Hole for years, decades had this um, summer visitorship where journalists could, you know, get dirty, get muddy and find out what peer reviews is, is about and stuff like that. It's, politics is different in the sense that it, it would be harder to go in and become a um, legislator and then come out and take on the role of a news journalist. You could become a, a commentator, you know, opinion, opinionator. Yeah, it's been known to happen. Well, on that note, uh, I'm, I'm guessing from that, that it that we won't be expecting any announcements from you anytime <laughs> no. soon, Andy, but that's okay because you are in a good place and we need you at ProPublica. Uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's our show. Um, we also do a segment called uh, Positive Feedback, where we try to come up with something awesome that's happened in the news uh, or some someone or something you'd like to give a shout out to as a way to kind of keep things happy around here at Warm Regards. Um, I don't know, Andy, do you have anything this week? Yeah, I do. And of course, in the realm I focus on climate change, usually good news is just the absence of badder news. And and the U.S. Geological Survey and, uh, and partners came out with a really important uh, overview study of this prospect that had gotten a lot of kind of hypish attention the last few years of um, sudden outbursts of um, methane, you know, natural gas from deposits locked in hydrates frozen in the seabed in the Arctic. So, you know, if we warm those shallow uh, areas off the North Slope or whatever, or off of Russia, you end up with this massive methane bomb. And uh, the, the, the opening line is pretty straightforward, at least to the um, summary here. The breakdown of methane hydrates due to warming cl climate is unlikely to lead to massive amounts of methane being released into the atmosphere, according to this new study, blah, blah, blah. The interaction of climate change and methane hydrates in the reviews of geophysics. So that's Max as good news. I, I tweeted about it saying the problem is when something is better than a catastrophe, we in the media tend not to write about it and people don't tweet about it and it doesn't get shared on Facebook because it's not calamitous or, you know, front pagey. And, and I think it's important for us to find ways to culturally to share news that's, you know, not all heading in one direction when it's real. And, and that's a challenge for everybody. Yeah, I would say that my positive feedback is the Science March, uh, which is coming up on April 22nd, and uh, has just received a ton of, of positive 
attention. A lot of folks are really excited about it. There have been some critiques that it's going to isolate scientists and it's going to make science political, but I think we've already like dismissed those arguments in this show alone. So um, I think the most important thing is that there's just going to be this really positive and um, you know exciting opportunity for people to stand up for science. It's not a scientist's march. It's a march for science, which which means that you know, it'll be a great opportunity for people to really see scientists and see the diversity of scientists up close and personal and, you know, really walk beside and talk to scientists maybe for the first time ever, which is exciting. And I, you know, I've heard rumors that there will be, you know, many marches all over the country and also, you know, teach-ins and demonstrations and, and, and other really cool um, events that, that go along with that. And, I already have to figure out what my sign will say. So if you have any ideas, uh, just somebody tweet me. It has, uh, to, it has to be about paleoecology. Just oh yeah, all oh, right. Oh, yeah, I think I think so. Because I mean, how how often do you get the chance to make a uh, like a, a March sign that that references like paleo stuff? Maybe like a radiocarbon dating pun or something with poop. I don't know. Shaughnessy, did you want to? Um, I know we didn't tell you about this in advance, but if you had anything you'd like to highlight. Well, I was really pleased to see a group of uh, really respected Republicans put forward the Climate Leadership Council, uh, where they're advocating uh, for a tax on carbon. And their proposal is revenue neutral. And so to me, it seems that it has a possibility, even under this administration, um, of going somewhere. And I find that really encouraging because I, I think by encouraging a low carbon energy policy, um, we can get greater investments in clean technology and businesses will have greater incentive to think long term about this. Well, thank you, Shaughnessy. Um, I plan on being in DC on Pi Day. Um, so I look forward to meeting you in person and just thank you so much for coming on our show. Well, thank you, Jacqueline. And it was really nice to speak with both you and Andy. And that's our show, folks. If you like what we're doing here, please tell a friend or three. And as always, feel free to hit us up with your thoughts on future guests, show ideas, or pretty much anything. Our email address is ourwarmregards at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at ourwarmregards. Assuming we all survive whatever happens next week, we'll be tweeting our takes like mad. For Andy, Eric, and our producers, Stephen Lacey, I'm Jacqueline Gill. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'd like to thank Wonder Capital for their support of the Warm Regards podcast. You can directly invest in solar projects across the U.S. and earn up to 8.5% annually with Wonder's award-winning online investment platform. So remember, to support this podcast and the U.S. solar industry, go to wondercapital.com warm. That's wonder with a U, W-U-N-D-E-R, capital wondercapital.com slash warm. Wonder Capital, do well and do good.